Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. And I'm Zeflin. And here we are with episode nine, Conflict. I feel like you can just tell from the title that it's going to be an exciting one. I feel like I simultaneously have far fewer questions, but I have bigger questions as of the end of this episode. I guess that's the name of the game for this series, but um, it makes me really wonder how they're going to manage to fit it in that's... Uh, at this point in the series, just because it seems like we're coming up on the finish line, as sad as it is to say that, and they still have what it feels like is so much more ground to cover. It's interesting for me because in the episodes we've already seen this season, time had been slowed down so much, and I felt like I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to reach a resolution in the time that they had left. But now this episode seems so significant, I'm almost not sure how much story there is left to tell after it. I think I see what you mean there, because um, as far as, like, the characters in play, some of them, um, well, I guess you could just say that they're no longer in play, but there remains so much mystery about what their motivations are and were, and um, I think we do still have some big questions about what the the sci-fi underpinnings of the show have been that I think are still going to be a big part of the finale. And I guess we do still have enough characters left alive to make four episodes worth of story. (laughs) Um, I guess they only need four characters to do that, judging by how fast they've been dying lately. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like by the last episode, we'll be be saying things like, and then there were two. (laughs) Oh man, that doesn't make me feel good about Darlene. Oh, you know, I got a theory that Darlene's the one that makes it. I would really support that theory, just for the emotional sentiment. I don't know what it says for the others. I think that we might have an inkling, but that needs to be seen. So um, to get into the, the beginning of this episode, it takes us back to that um, dreamlike boardroom that we saw has um, baby Elliot and Elliot's mom. Um, I think that we saw this scene, um, was at the end of like the season four premiere? Yes, it's whichever episode that they introduce us to the idea of the additional altar. They first show up in this sort of e-corp boardroom of their mind. Yeah, and now it seems like Mr. Robot arrives. This is the most concerned I think Elliot's mom has ever been about him. (laughs) I wonder if this is actually um, like an idealized version of the mother, much in the same way that Mr. Robot is an idealized version of the father. I'll be curious to see because she's sort of surly, but I don't think she's... We haven't seen enough of her in this incarnation to know if she's sort of purposefully cruel in the way that I think his mother was. Mm -hmm. What's really troubling to me here and what I think is bound to occupy some space in the episodes that are still left is that there seems to be something else really significant that Elliot does not know. Right, but we talk about it in such vague terms that um, it really doesn't tell us anything about it. I don't know how much more this guy can take, so I hope it's not something really serious, but I, I think... When Mr. Robot says, I'm going to show him what he did, that feels very ominous to me. Well, one thing I was thinking of um, the first time I watched this was the possibility that this happened um, before the um, like the Vera interrogation scene. So I was wondering, like, maybe that's what they're talking about, but in um, a, a future-looking perspective instead of it being in the present looking backward. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I thought, too, there's nothing to say that it's not something positive. That he did. It's just that everything has been so heavy lately that it makes me think it's something frightening. Yeah. 
And just like the mannerisms of everybody in here and the way they're relaxing with each other, it doesn't really seem uh, celebratory. So it sounds like this other altar has been asleep, except for the conversation that he had with Darlene when Vera reintroduced himself into the story. And um, I guess like we're going to find out in the future if there were also other circumstances where it was this other altar, but it had appeared to be Elliot or Mr. Robot. And I assume it will kind of crystallize as we get some more information about who that person is. I've heard some theories that um, the third altar might not actually exist, and it was like a, a misdirect by Mr. Robot. That was an, an intentional alliteration. But um, I think that having this scene here kind of does confirm that there is uh, another presence that we're still going to find out about. I think Darlene is going to be significant to this revelation, and it's going to be interesting to see Mr. Robot appeal to her for help. Because as we see in these next few scenes, there's not a high level of trust between them. No, not at all. And I guess they're also both in um, sort of acute states of distress. And I was actually, um, I'm only saying this because I'm also watching this scene as I'm talking about it right now. But they have a shot of the raspberry pie that they go on to use later in the episode um, when they first show the room that's uh, their leader, Mr. Robotter. So this part of the episode cuts really quickly back and forth between the what I'll maybe say is the F Society storyline and the White Rose storyline. So we'll do our best to keep it coherent as we move back and forth between those things. Um, Darlene's in a, it looks like a generic kind of hotel room when Mr. Robot shows up. Yeah, and although things are kind of tense between them, they still are trying to move forward with their shared goal of taking in the Deus group. We can also remember that um, just within like the past 24 hours or so, Darlene um, was told by Dom to uh, take down White Rose as revenge. And Mr. Robot and Elliot um, were told by Tyrell the exact same thing. So they have all of this um, emotional turmoil right now. And it also is propelling their motivation against the day's group. And actually, I think all three of those characters have slightly different motivations for wanting White Rose to be taken down. I think for... For Dom, it's part of her overarching sense of justice and looking to carry out what's just. Um, for Price, I think it's absolutely vengeance. And for Terrell, I'm not even sure. I actually, in fact, still wasn't sure, you know, when Nindy says to Elliot, take care of White Rose, what that's supposed to mean to us. That was just such a surreal episode. So that's one of the ones that really does continue to leave some lingering questions. Do you find it strange that neither of the Aldersons tells each other that they've been held hostage that day? <laughs> um, well, maybe it's like um, when Elliot and Darlene had last hopped in that car together and she just said, like, she doesn't need it now. Maybe they know that some things are just, like, personal and some things are business. I wanted to ask you if you could explain to me what an MC catcher is. Oh, yeah. So I actually normally refer to it um, as IMSI. So maybe that goes to show you that I actually... Don't really know what I'm talking about here because that's basically the extent of what I know about it. Um, it's basically, uh, it behaves in the same way as a cell tower. And when your phone is trying to connect to a cell tower to um, either have like data or to um, make phone calls or SMS messages, it has to go through like a negotiation process with the cell tower that involves sending the um, IMSI code, which like uniquely identifies the phone. And um, that means that every phone has a unique identifier that is exposed to every cell tower in the area. And the concept with an MSI catcher is that you um, 
have like a fake cell tower that just goes around and collects all of those numbers for correlation purposes um, without actually providing cell service. So um, they're actually commonly known um, for their controversial use by law enforcement. Um, in that context, they're called um, stingrays. And another thing I mentioned is that because they're fake cell towers, they um, don't actually like fulfill the purpose of um, making phone calls or delivering messages. So when a person is um, being subject to like an MSI catcher, they lose their um, phone connectivity. And that's the way when you can tell that you've been affected. I think I've heard of a stingray before. So I think that makes sense to me as you've explained it. Yeah, it was really controversial in Toronto, actually, because um, they had deployed them like very covertly and kept it under wraps for a very long time until I think the star exposed them. When Price shows up, how surprised do you think Darlene is? <laughs> she must be very surprised. But I like how Price is just like not at all perplexed by who she is and he doesn't seem to care at all. I have to say every episode of this season, Carly Chaikin impresses me more and more with her performance. And I think she's just great in this. I agree. I wonder what she's going to get us to after this. I feel like there's some Twitter joke I don't totally understand about her becoming a professional golfer. Hmm. Well, I mean, if that's, if that's what she likes, then support that, I guess. <laughs> she's good at painting and golfing is practically the same thing. Lee Carvalho's putting challenge. <laughs> Price, I think, is there to give himself a bit of insurance because I think he, uh, probably like all of the viewers, suspect that he's not long for this world at the time that he has this conversation with Mr. Robot and with Darlene. And so he shows up essentially to hand them everything they need to destroy White Rose's machine. He wants that done for Angela. So this is, again, another character who's died this season who's um, compelling other characters to take revenge against White Rose and Deus Group. I suppose, too, it tells us that there must be some physical machine in existence. And, uh, you know, although Price refers to White Rose as a con man and things, that there has to be some truth, some real material reality to it. Yeah, I think that um, the word machine is something that has been used to refer to White Rose's project in the past. So this makes me think that it must actually be some kind of physical device. And um, I'm really curious to see how that'll turn out. Because it actually does seem like Price really knows what he's talking about. One thing I find challenging about watching these first few scenes is how little information Darlene gets and how little respect she's treated with by Price and Mr. Robot. I mean, I think she might as well be wallpaper to them, even though I have to say, I don't think they could pull off what they pull off in this episode without her. A good point. I was kind of making light of how Price wasn't paying attention to her, but that does kind of um, show that they're not involving her in the way that she deserves to be because... In the end, um, the hack that takes place is almost entirely on her. Like She's the one who basically orchestrated it from start to finish. Once Price leaves, Darlene, she says she doesn't really want to talk about it, but she tells Mr. Robot how much she misses Angela. He, however, is quite preoccupied by some inconsistencies that he sees with the meeting across the street, and he starts to worry that it's not, in fact, the real Deus Group meeting. No, it's just a meeting between Price and White Rose, and the ominous beep and watch um, beeps, I guess I should phrase it that way, <laughs> um, right when Price uh, enters the room. And there's just one small table for two in the middle of this gigantic, beautiful room, and um, 
it looks beautiful in actuality it's pretty silly just because of how huge it is in the really um small discussion that they're having I think symbolically it's important because I was trying to imagine to myself how much it would cost to rent a ballroom in Manhattan to have a one-on-one conversation. And so I think this is just really a display of conspicuous consumption. Ah, good points. Um, I wonder if price is kind of one to be susceptible to that. I mean, he is obviously somebody who's concerned with status, but I also feel like He's also so high up the ladder that everybody else he can look down on. So I wonder if he even considers money to be a material object at this point. I would doubt it, truthfully. And I'm actually surprised in this episode how significant money seems to be to Zhang. And so I'll set this out before we talk more about the episode. But for most of the episode, White Rose presents as Zhang. And so I often use he, him pronouns when we're talking about White Rose presenting as Minister Zhang just for uh, sake of avoiding confusion as we move through the conversation. I love their little one-upmanship. I like their little pissing contests and their conversations. So Price says that it's nice to be first, and Zhang says, well, technically I was first. <laughs> um, and, and BT Wong is really like the perfect actor to be delivering those lines, but Price has his own um, way of delivering his retorts that are also so enjoyable. And you get the impression that he knows that he has nothing to lose right now. So um, he's maybe being a little more reckless than he would be ordinarily. What I find interesting about Price is there's a scene earlier in the series where Colby asks what motivates him to do all these things he does. And he talks about how he always asks himself if he's the most powerful person in the room. And there's really only one or two rooms in the world where that's not true. And I think here strangely and maybe because he knows it's the end of his time he really can act with impunity he now maybe for the first time with white rose is the more powerful person i think oh yeah yeah i guess that's kind of um an interesting culmination for his story arc actually when you think about it that way if you were price and Zhang offered you a drink would you accept it <laughs> um I've been making a lot of references to Game of Thrones because it's so fresh in um, all of our minds, except except yours, I guess. It's, um, there's one character who is presented with the situation and just, like, dalens the glass of wine and then starts shit-talking them and confessing to all kinds of crimes before they die. And um, I can imagine, like, if uh, Price already knows that he's probably going to die, then it doesn't really matter to him how it's going to happen. True. I felt like I might have asked Zhang to taste it first, but he probably wouldn't have been willing to do that. <laughs> Back at Mr. Roberts, he's looking through Terrell's phone. And can you tell me what Ice Weasel is? Yeah, I can. Um, so it's actually an interesting and funny story if you have the same interests and sense of humor as I do. But it's um, a variant of Firefox. Uh, Firefox is free software, but the Mozilla Corporation or Foundation, I don't remember which, um, owns the trademark to Firefox. And if you make any changes to Firefox um, when you redistribute it, you need to change its name and the branding. Um, so Ice Weasel is a variant of Firefox that has all of the proprietary software removed and only uses um, free and open source technology. And it doesn't have things like... Um, digital rights management that lets you um, watch like Netflix or non-free things like that. 
So it's kind of like a more hardcore free software version of Firefox. And the name is a result of the trademark dispute. Thank you. That helps me understand the genesis of these uh, fictional internet browser animals. And the Razer logo is coming up so much that I'm absolutely certain that it's product license. And I'm not even sure if this Linux distribution would run on a Razer Razer laptop. Um, They're getting better at it, like the manufacturers are in general. But I just never see people using those compared to like like pads or MacBooks. At some point in the series, they make reference to how... I think the FBI will have tough books. I'm on a tough book. It's silly. <laughs> we also saw, um, I think, Dom typing on hers in the season three finale, like at the barn. Um, I can appreciate like the, the rugged aspect of it, though, because the last thing I want is to be like hauling around a laptop somewhere and then having it um, break for some stupid reason. Like my phone, which has broken like seven times in the last month, as I've complained to you about so much. I think Zhang in this scene is kind of like a very scary Santa Claus who is perhaps prepared to grant the gift of, um, you know, continuing to be alive to Price. (laughs) Um, What do you mean by that? Well, he talks about how he had intended to give him the gift of living into retirement. Of course, we see that that's uh, subject to change, perhaps, um, because Price is working with Elliot. White Rose is aware of this. And I think the whole episode, we feel that Price is probably not going to survive. No, no. And when they have so much of a focus on a secondary character in one episode, that normally is like a a bad sign for them. Back in the F Society room, they realize that the real meeting has been moved to Cipriani, a different hotel near Wall Street. And it raises the question to them, why didn't they tell Price and what's going on? I got the impression that they know that something is amiss and um, they just wanted to have a confrontation with Price to get to the bottom of it. B.D. Wong's performance in this is really great, especially just watching his facial expressions. Um, And I think this is the first time we've ever seen this character really off their game and without complete information because they seem to me to be completely surprised to hear that Terrell Wellick is not going to be at the Dates Group meeting. Right. I guess it kind of shows you that um, even for the head of an organization that feels so um, omnipresent as the Dark Army, um, there's nobody in the world who has absolutely perfect information. And especially considering most of these things have just happened over the past day, I guess there's some inherent latency in um, how much you can find out at that time. In the other room, Darlene and Mr. Robot have to make a decision about whether to stay together or split up to tackle the problem that White Rose is not with the rest of the group, and they do need to capture all of their phone numbers in order to pull off this hack completely. What would you do if it were you and I? I feel like I would want to do whatever gave us the best chance of success because we'd come so far, and I feel like the only way to do that is for them to split up. Good answer. I think that that ends up being the right choice. Well, especially because this hack seems so dependent on their physical location and proximity, I can't imagine that they would have been able to capture White Rose's information because they never make it to the main meeting. Yeah, good point. I thought about it that way. Price is really going for the champagne in the ballroom. (laughs) I guess you can't really blame him, both in the sense that he's about to die and because if if you're already that old, like you're probably not going to die of cirrhosis or something. You might as well get started. <laughs> I realize I'm referring to Zhang and White Rose kind of interchangeably as we go. Uh, but of course, White Rose is paying the bill too. So, you know, you might as well enjoy yourself. <laughs> Want to talk about the scene with Wang Shu? Yes. And um, 
I like how they're speaking um, a language that Price can't understand in front of him, and it just is like their way of having a coded discussion. It's actually a bit like that flashback we had between um, Zhang and uh, their partner in the, was it like the 80s? Yes. So what I find really uh, most striking about this scene is they have this conversation, which is private to them and the Mandarin speakers in the room. But then Wang Xu says in English, in front of Price, he's beaten you, you lost today. So I think her goal there is to embarrass him in a way because she makes it known to Price as well, his opponent. I'm bold. I really wonder how she's going to come up in the next few episodes because it seems like she might actually be one of the last people standing. Do you think we'll ever see her again? I kind of think that she might end up being like the uh, sneaky final boss of matter. That or we'll never see her again. She must be very high ranking and very powerful because we've talked in previous episodes about how most people are not allowed to give their two weeks notice to the Dark (laughs) Army. Exactly. And I was also kind of thinking like, what is the storyline purpose of her character? And I don't really think that they've done very much so far aside from be somebody who's trying to tell White Rose they were wrong and not succeeded. (laughs) I think if we didn't see her again, that she would have been underutilized. I think there's a lot of potential in that character, and I'd be sort of disappointed if this is really the last chapter for her. Agreed. So now um, it seems like we're beginning with the actual intense hacking scene. You can tell by the music. The music in this is really great, and I feel like this has big season one vibes for me. Absolutely. I, I really love how they're bringing back all of um, the things that we love from season one. Did you notice the um, Donald Trump impersonator that they pan past? I did. I did. Uh, did you notice that the hors d'oeuvres are hamburgers? Oh, wow. what, what kind of symbolism does that have to you? So it has two things. Remember that ridiculous hamburger buffet that Donald Trump threw? Oh, wow. Yeah, actually, I do remember that in the McDonald's buffet, right? Exactly. And then I also, of course, thought of Hamburger Man. Right. That's what I thought you were getting at. There's a scene of a billboard in here for something called Shift and Control on NBC. Is that a real show? I don't know. I thought that it was kind of just like a a show within a show that they were using to um, give Darlene like a bit of a hint. I was really shocked that the dais group was so big. I truly thought it was going to be like 12 guys. Well, if you have the top 1% of the top 1%, that's the one in 10,000, 7 billion people. It's actually a lot of them when you think about it. Maybe I underestimated their numbers. <laughs> um, they are all men and looking around the room, mostly white. Yeah, I think that that's some intentional uh, symbolism here, if you call it that. I think so. Um, and I think it probably reflects pretty accurately how global wealth is distributed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you think of these shots that have the um, employee taking uh, their their smoke break? I think that there's also some uh, intentional misdirection that they pack into the sequence. I thought it was to raise my hopes that Darlene was going to find a way to sneak into the building and then to kind of take that idea away from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was falling for it until the last minute. I like that Darlene's solution to not being able to get into that building is to carry out a B&E elsewhere. <laughs> That's the kind of creativity that a, a genuine hacker has, I guess. She really is um, the MVP of this episode. Very resourceful. And I guess she's broken into some kind of costume shop. <laughs> um, she just has all those wigs under there, so, you know. And that, of course, is where she'll get access to the F Society mask that will become important in just a couple of moments. Philip Price's phone is ringing, and Zhang decides to answer it. Sort of a power move. 
You had to answer someone else's phone. <laughs> he knows right away that it's, well, he says Mr. Alderson. This, I think, is, and I'm going to suspect deliberately, a very well-crafted and manipulative olive branch that he offers to Mr. Alderson to try to, I guess, get them on side. Yeah, I think that this is an offer that he's used to making and something that he um, might have also used to recruit Angela. And then what he's offering to Elliot is um, the idea of, being, of bringing Angela back. Um, I think that the, the different characters have really different reactions to Zhang's tricks here. Or maybe even calling them tricks is um, presumptuous, but uh, Price doesn't buy it for a second. And Elliot, um, he's skeptical, but I think that there is like a little bit of a glimmer of belief here that he's planting. Well, what he offers, I mean, what's more powerful than the offer to take away someone's pain and regret and give to them the world they deserve to live in? I don't think he could make this plea any more appealing to Elliot. Yeah, and um, the way you say it there uh, about making it more appealing to Elliot Zhang does refer to um, the person that they're speaking to as Elliot, despite the fact that visually they're Mr. Robot right now. Although there is a really um, nice transition back into the Elliot character that goes on throughout the conversation. Zhang here really reminds me of almost a doomsday cult leader. And I, I kind of question whether they believe any of what they're saying whether they believe that they can, in fact, restore people to life or whether they're talking about some sort of beautiful, perfect afterworld where everyone is reunited and lives peacefully. I, I don't know how to interpret what they're saying. The language that they use definitely is um, it, it, it actually like if somebody started talking to me like this, I'd be very concerned and probably like start walking away at that point. That's why I don't go to Young Dundas Square. Um, but like, I think that it is something that Zhang does actually believe because, um, there was that kind of exposition back to the 1980s that I was talking about earlier. And, um, I think that that must've been presented to us so we could understand more about what the purpose of this machine is. And, um, if it's just something that's made up to, um, be a trick that they can pull on other people that it wouldn't see why they would need to explain it that way. This also calls back to another episode um, Zhang says, you know, surely you don't believe only what's right in front of you. And so I think that brings us back to the scene where Tyrell says to Elliot, or maybe it's the other way around. You're not seeing what's above you. You're only seeing what's in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. That was making me think of that too. I can see the relations in um, the way that they're talking about it. So I hope that we kind of see what it is that they're really trying to get to. I'm so pleased, even if we don't get another one uh, in the rest of the series, that we got another F Society video because I so sincerely enjoy them. They are so nice. And I like how um, this one also has like a really tactical benefit that Darlene was able to come up with on a moment's notice. So the F Society video doxes, um, which is to say like reveals the personal information of um, the Deus group members online. Um, and this means that any random person can then find out where they're located. And um, some people can be very threatened in a situation like that. So it's something that Darlene is weaponizing to flush people out of that hotel that she deems impenetrable. I think she's also using it as a kind of community mobilization tool. So it also puts 
many protesters and different bodies out front of that hotel, and that allows her to kind of be camouflaged while she's trying to carry out the end of the hack. I guess let's speak a bit about um, like safety and numbers and how um, maybe like one of the themes of Mr. Robot, in spite of all of the despair and isolation, is that they're looking for a more like idealized and communal society. So maybe um, by having like teamwork be necessary, it has some nice symbolism on that frontier. You know, I'd agree with that because I think the theme of collectivity versus individualism certainly runs through the whole series. I agree. When Elliot sees the cell phone tower, there's a plane in the background. Did you also notice the plane that was um, uh, that Janice was looking at in the episode that she had with um, Zaman Zerli? Oh, no, I didn't notice that. She sees it out the window when she's talking about the podcasts that she listens to. And um, I, it just got me wondering what it was at that point. And then when I saw it here, it made me think about it again. Um, I was wondering if by the end of it, they were revealing that it was like a private jet that was being taken in and out by the Deus group members. I believe one of them even makes reference to their jet. So it could certainly be that. And I think it might feed some of the fan theories that there's perhaps an unfortunate plane related incident in a later episode. Right. That theory has been going on since season two um, because of some decorations that was in, um, it was Darlene's room, right? I think that's right. Or, or no, it might have been Tom's room. Sorry. One of those, yeah. <laughs> I guess Darlene never really has her own room. She's kind of a squatter. She just borrows people's uh, from time to time. She lives, you know, free as the wind. <laughs> um, I think this is a really true to life kind of moment. So, of course, there's a lot of support staff that it would take to make this Deus group meeting happen. And so we see the, you know, the drivers and the security guys, you know, kind of playing cards and you know, just kind of killing the time while they wait for their next task. So we get this scene in, in my notes, I call it the Escalade dealership, but it's really just the parking garage of the hotel. <laughs> Wasn't an Escalade also what Tyrell and Joanne used to drive? It certainly was. Wow. Now the members of the Days group begin to want to leave, but are we supposed to infer here that Darlene's hacked the door to the garage? So I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that there was some foreshadowing that I hadn't noticed until just now. Um, what she does, um, if my interpretation of it is correct, is the first thing she does is um, snatches through like um, radio frequency detection, um, the like the fob or whatever that the security guard is using to open and close the, um, the door of the garage. And... Um, Kind of like in the scenes we've seen in the past where they're able to capture and um, replay, as it's called, um, uh, ID cards and other um, like physical devices. Um, she deploys her Raspberry Pi, which um, has a radio antenna on it, and it kind of jams the signal on the, um, on the device that's at the door and keeps it in the like, up-locked position. And because it's kind of sending so many messages and um, overloading the um, like the amount of messages that the device is able to take in, even the person's buzzer isn't able to override it because then the Raspberry Pi is just going to turn it right back on again. Darlene is really multitasking here. Yeah, and she also has to come up with so much stuff on the fly. So it's not just that she's doing so much stuff at once, but that she has to be really um, adaptive to the situation. 
So the Dennis group members, and this seems so foolish to me, um, when they realize they can't get their cars out, they start streaming out into the alley. Well, I guess until now, they had been used to being unidentified and just um, going everywhere with impunity. And now they're realizing that having been doxxed, um, people are actually able to recognize them now. You know, that's a good point. I didn't consider that. I somehow thought they were all maybe sort of famous in their own ways, but... You're right, perhaps nobody really knew their faces until all of this was just revealed. Now, let's go back to Zheng and Price for a minute. Sure thing. What's going on there? Zheng's getting pretty upset. And I think that must be really a delight for Price to see that right now. <laughs> I think that Price is really able to gloat here. And I really love it, to be honest. I think he, he kind of deserves a, a parting shot, if you will. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like he's taken a few parting shots so far. I think he... So he hates Elliot, which is interesting to me that he really has any strong feeling at all. But he loves how much Elliot can hurt White Rose and do damage to her. Elliot has always been targeting um, E Corp in particular. So maybe especially to Price, who knows that it's early in the day, it's group he's been pulling the strings. Maybe all of that focus on um, E Corp seemed to be undue. And um, the attack on E Corp also put him at a disadvantage um, in their one-upsmanship with um, White Rose. And that was something that um, was held over them with the uh, e-coin bailout, right? So maybe he still is a little resentful over that. That's a good point. That's a good point. I suppose those things aren't easily forgotten. I like the way they build these two storylines to their highest point simultaneously. So we see kind of the things heating up between Price and White Rose and also Darlene and Elliot really um, in the clutch, so to speak, trying to confirm these last few phone numbers. Yeah, I really love how they kind of um, seem to intertwine like really tense moments together in a way that doesn't take away from the intensity of each individual scene. I like Price's kind of vulnerability when he talks about how badly he would have liked to believe that Angela was alive. And I think he really, he really names it when he talks about how people are so desperate to leave their pain and regret behind that it causes them to believe these fantastic, unbelievable things that White Rose is um, is advancing. So, you know, he sort of exposes all of that as, as a con. Although he was like the worst deadbeat ever. So maybe that's something he regrets. Oh, I'm certain he has his fair share of regrets and probably doesn't regret as many things as he should. Um, I'm not saying, I guess, by any means that he's redeemed. Um, I like that he's defiant to the end, though. I think that's that's how that character should be. Yeah, and uh, I think that's how we all like to see him, even if we aren't always rooting for him. White Rose, I think, gets a, a really good line in when she suggests to him that he ought to accept his truth. Something that he said to Angela shortly before she died. Oh, wow, I hadn't caught that. Now, I think the most fun part of this episode for me, and it's always so thrilling to see uh, the Alderson siblings pull off these tense, like down to the wire exploits. I love seeing Darlene's joyful face in the crowd when she realizes that it's working. <laughs> um, I've already seen people using that as a, a meme template online. I think that's going to take off. It's maybe even better than when she watches Scott Knowles burn the money. White Rose seems pretty troubled about losing all of their money. And this is where 
I almost have trouble believing that they would care so much about money, but I guess I have to consider that money also equals your liberty and autonomy and ability to achieve your dreams. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Well, I figure money is why they have all of these henchmen anyway. Like, none of this, they were looking at set their heart. It really does um, take an army, as they say, to um, fulfill ambitions that are as grand as White Rose. Price's retort to White Rose that they didn't lose the game, they ran out of time is perfect. And the delivery just makes it even better. I have to say the line delivery from both uh, Price and uh, Zhang this whole episode are excellent. Yeah, I think that the scenes they've had together have always been great, and this is a really good um, combination to this. They really send it out with a bang, um, pun intended. So in this next scene, I think I have real trouble believing that White Rose would just lose control and shoot him in the street. But do you think that's what happened? Um, it did seem really out of character to me, but I guess we know that White Rose does have these really impulsive streaks, like having broken those wine glasses, um, we hear the news about the Congo and um, tossing over the Christmas tree um, when they were confronted by Price at the beginning of the season. So if we kind of consider that this is like the culmination of their interactions, then it makes sense that Wade Rose would have, um, like, would do the logical conclusion of that impulsivity and actually um, attack him. And I think you must be right, because I was trying to consider, given the way the episode ends... Is that a strategic choice meant to provoke a certain kind of reaction from, I guess, law enforcement? But I can't, I can't see why that would be useful. No, I think that um, like they just get um, lifted away by the henchmen, and I try and uh, make it to safety before we get um, too far away from like the hacking segments. I wish there was a bit more that I could um, speak to about it, but there aren't really that many like. Um, technical things to explain aside from like uh the i am psychiatrist earlier um the fact that they're intersecting the two-factor authentication codes and then the the underlying like um bank transfers so there are all kinds of underlying factors that make it way more complicated when they actually um are integrated in these ways but um it's just more difficult to explain like the specific integration of all of them compared to each separate technology yeah thanks for explaining some of that because this i mean it seems like movie magic to me but this show has always been grounded really in realism and the technical feats they carry out yeah i can say that like um from my perspective it does look realistic they have a lot of um uh like their realistic um sequel queries um when i was looking at it i was actually thinking like man they really could have optimized that and saved a lot of time but it just wouldn't have looked as dramatic on the screen so um there was like room for improvement in some of the code but it all does look um, pretty realistic so price meets his perhaps timely end and at some point one of the characters says and like that rome falls and that calls back to an earlier maybe the first scene where we see zhang and price talking together about the analogy of nero fiddling while rome burns Right, I think that it was Zhang who was talking about that in um, the season one post credit scene. Oh, that's right. That's where it appears. Wow, that makes me wonder what's going to be in the post credit scene for the finale. Ugh, it's going to be good. You know it's going to be good. If anyone's still alive, which Darlene will be. That's my theory. <laughs> the final scene, we see White Rose appearing, I think, as her you know, more authentic self. 
She's wearing the white dress. I think she's wearing the white dress that she had intended to wear the day that her machine was shipped to the Congo. Oh, you know, I hadn't picked up on that. Um, I think that would be symbolic and it would actually make me feel a little sympathetic for the character, even though they absolutely don't deserve it. <laughs> no, that's true. I do often feel sympathetic for characters in this show who don't deserve <laughs> it. Well, that's why I thought, was this some sort of strategic choice and that somehow they believe that killing Price brings about, I don't know, something that they need to advance their big goal in some way. Um, but I'm probably making too much of it uh, because this is really just a scene of White Rose very calmly applying their makeup while the FBI breaks down their door. <laughs> um, did you notice that also looking into a three-panel mirror like in that flashback scene? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so the other thing that's just worth mentioning is that um, the the gunfight that happens, it seems to be pretty ferocious and it seems like um, White Rose isn't really going out without a fight. So it seems like there are still people who are loyal to them. And um, I think that they're making us wonder that maybe White Rose is going to survive this onslaught and maybe try and um, get revenge in some way. Because now I think that um, I think that this might have been like the climax of the series, actually, but there still is so much to kind of resolve and figure out. And we need to see how all the characters um, deal with what just happened. I also wonder, because White Rose is uh, not on the ball in this episode, not as diligent as we normally know them to be. Are they unaware that Dom has been badly injured and Dom is not maybe active in the FBI to be a part of this raid or managing this raid in some way? Oh, great point. Because maybe that's something that could have been prevented if um, Dom was still in play. Or if they're counting on Dom to manage the situation in some certain way and how it goes down. But, you know, as we know, Dom is... Well, I guess we don't know. As I suspect, Dom is in the hospital. Right. I really hope that we'll figure out uh, what happened to her soon. I think um, just to, to wrap up, when we see the F Society video, they talk about how this is the beginning of the end. And I have to say, this episode really feels like the beginning of the end of this story. Yeah. I know that this whole time we've known that it's the last season, but... Now that we're getting so close to the end, I can really feel it closing in on me, and I really don't like it. I don't like it either. What am I going to do with all of my time after this? We're going to need to announce some new podcasts or something. Yes, you know what? I was like, we'll have an offline discussion about what we're going to do with all of our time <laughs> and what we're going to talk about every day. All right. Well, so, you know, another one bites the dust, but we still have some, well, some big things to come, I can imagine. What's the... What's the 410 error code? Uh, gone. So actually when uh, Price had said that to White Rose, I was like, oh, they said the name of the episode before I remember that's actually the next episode. Well, I guess we'll see who stays and who's gone <laughs> next time on Mr. Rewatch. Listen, thank you so much for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recently reached a milestone where you have downloaded our show over 10,000 times. We are so grateful for your support and listenership. Thank you again. We'll be back with you next week. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir.